0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue this week a series in the book of Hebrews called The Priceless Treasure of Jesus. So turning your Bibles to Hebrews 3, 12 to 19 as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Avoid a Fall. Hebrews
1: 3, 12 to 19, you know, the last section In the third chapter of this wonderful yet sobering book, it begins with the words, take care. See, every once in a while, you'll see a public sign that says something like like that. Attention, large letters, or warning, it says, in a color that tells you that this is very important. And then after the warning sign, it tells you that, you know, the ground next to the cliff is prone to crumbling. So if you go to the very edge, you might fall to your death or if you touch the low-hanging power lines, you're gonna be electrocuted, or if you dive into the water below, you might hit a rock, break your neck. See, in each case, the point of take care, that sign is to tell someone of a very real and potential danger that exists, and the sign might also tell of people who didn't take care and consequently lost their lives. Then the point is that we had better learn the lessons that others refuse to learn. it's the same way for our faith. I have on other occasions used examples of people who fell away. You know, some of those people have already died and now await the final judgment with no hope of salvation from damnation. That's horrible. There are other examples of those who are still living but who have either wandered from the faith and in the case of some, have openly renounced their faith. So here's the question, could that happen to you? And the point of the warning signs that we sometimes see are there so that if you pay attention to what's said, then you'll take note and not become like those who have lost their lives. In other words, if you heed the warnings, you're going to be safe. But if you don't, you're going to become a statistic. I know such talk raises two questions that need to be addressed, and one is the question of the eternal security of the believer. So is Hebrews teaching that believers can lose their salvation? I'm going to address that question as we go on today. But if we answer in the negative, that true believers can't lose their salvation, then why are these warnings here? And here, let me answer. Imagine the warning sign that tells you that if you go near the edge of the cliff, the ground there is unstable. And I'll say this, all who heed that sign will not fall. So a second question, if it is so, that those who don't heed the warnings fall, can we have assurance? I mean, who heeds all the signs all the time? And i leave those questions hanging there for now. And we're going to get back to them, but let's begin by reading our text, Hebrews 3:12 to 19. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now to understand this passage in chewable hunks. Let's divide it into three parts. The first part is the basic command. Don't do this, it says. And then instead, do this. And that's in verses 12 and 13. Then the second part, verses 14 and 15, we receive a clarification. There we're going to concentrate on one very important word, and that word is the word if. And then the third part, in verses 16 to 18, our Bibles will ask us to answer three important questions. And then finally, verse 19, that's the conclusion, the summarizing statement. So let's get back to verses 12 and 13, the basic command. Let's read it again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take care. Pay attention. Don't ignore the warning signs. Every single person who claims Jesus as their Lord and God All those need to always be on guard against an evil and unbelieving heart. For if they allow the evil and unbelieving heart to persist, they're going to fall away from the living God. That is, this is a command to persistently examine the state of your heart. Are you allowing evil to remain unchecked? Do you make excuses for your sins, happy to let those sins continue? And do you mistrust the promises of God? Has that attitude persisted? Now, we might say, how am I to examine my heart? Well, for sin is deceitful. You know, the deceitfulness of sin is such that it teaches us to deny the sin that's there. That's why verse 13 tells us to exhort one another. Now, the commanded verse 13 assumes that believers are meeting together regularly. I mean, how else do they exhort one another? So, if you go ahead to Hebrews ten twenty-three to 24, there we read, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, (laughs) yeah, as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So how do we hold fast? Well, for one, you want to never fall out of the habit of meeting together. But even here in Hebrews 10 We're told that some have gotten a new habit. That is, they regularly neglect meeting with other believers. So why is that important? Well, first, because the Holy Spirit has commanded us to meet together. That's the first reason. But second, go back to Hebrews 3.14. It says that one of the things that must be done is that when believers meet, they exhort one another every day. So how do they do that? Well, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So think of what Christians do when they meet. The Word of God is taught verse by verse. Application is made. People that admonish each other, perhaps in Bible study groups, in which they encourage one another to remain faithful. And then we sing. And if we sing theologically rich and meaningful songs well, then our singing will also be an encouragement to avoid sin and to cling to things that are eternal. And so recognizing that the regular meeting of Christians, meetings that become habitual and regular and that have priority over other things, this pattern is designed to arrest evil and the unbelieving heart. It puts you in a community that constantly defines for you what is pure and what is faith-filled. But verse 14 is not done. We are exhort each other every day, as long as it is called today. That is, the today we're talking about is the day of grace, the day of mercy, the day when repentance is still possible. For there will be another day, not of mercy, but of judgment. None of us knows how many days of mercy we have left. And so living expectantly, not squandering opportunities to repent and to let the Holy Spirit melt our sin-prone heart, well, keep doing this every chance you get, for chances like the ones you have today will one day no longer be there for you. And so we have an opening command. Take care not to allow an evil and unbelieving heart to remain that way. For if it does, you're going to fall away from the living God. Gravity is going to take you down and you'll be among the damned. That warning, it's real. Now, we've been holding in abeyance the question of eternal security. But now let's answer that question. Let's go from the command to the point of clarification. And that's in verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if... We hold our original confidence firm to the end. I've already alerted you that the key word here is the word if. How can we know that we have come to share in Christ? Or I suppose another way of saying that is how do we know that we're truly born again? Another way of saying is how do I know if I'm a genuine Christian? You see, that's what the text asks us. Because if you know you're a genuine believer, you're going to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit lives within you. All the promises of God in the Bible, they're meant for you. But how can you know if you're not deceived about your salvation? See, in the past, a great many Christians used to agonize over this very question. But in more recent days, the question is actually seldom discussed. I think it has to do with the contemporary climate we live in. See, we affirm everyone. We can't imagine anyone could possibly be rejected. If Jesus said that many take the broad path on the road to destruction and only a few find the narrow path of eternal life, well, to many of us moderns, that's just impossible. I mean, sure, Adolf Hitler, he's eternally damned, but that's about it. The idea that the vast majority of humanity is going to be eternally condemned, that's wildly impossible, no matter what Jesus says. You see, we don't consider the question of, how can I know? But the Bible gives plenty of examples of people who did fall away, everyone from Judas to Demas, a man whom Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.10, who loved this present world and has abandoned him. So let me be clear. The evidence of your salvation is not in how sincere you were when you prayed to ask Jesus into your heart. The evidence for your salvation lies in the second half of Hebrews 3, 14, if it says, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So much more to say about this.
0: Last month, Back to the Bible Canada wrapped up another fiscal year. Every year, our gratitude and appreciation are renewed by the generosity you shower upon us. Your financial gifts of any amount, your prayers, your support, they do so much to sustain and grow this Bible teaching ministry. Each of you are stakeholders in the mission of Back to the Bible Canada and it's a privilege to partner with you. The ministry is now diving in head first to another year of faithful, expositional Bible teaching by Dr. John Newfeld and so many other ministry opportunities that God has placed before us. We can't wait to see what God unfolds. May I express our deep gratitude for all you do. If you'd like more information about Back to the Bible Canada or its associated ministries, give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Jesus was very clear about the eternal salvation of those whom he had called. Listen to the clarity of the words found in John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Yeah, eternal life, that is, if that word eternal means anything at all, it must mean eternal. For if eternal can come to an end, or if eternal can fall away and be no more, how can it have been eternal? And so if we have received eternal life, that life is eternal. It goes on forever. That's why I believe in the eternal security of the believer. If that's what Jesus taught, then, since Hebrews 3.14 is also Scripture, we have to find a way to understand it in terms of consistency. For Hebrews, which is also the Word of God, teaches us that if we have come to share in Christ, we only have come to share if we hold on to the end. And that clearly opens the door to the well-known truth that there are indeed those who didn't hold on to the end. I think the only way to make sense of this is to say that those who receive eternal life are those who hold their original confidence unto the end. Or as other theologians have said it, that true faith is persevering faith. That is, genuine faith continues to be faithful throughout the course of a lifetime. Let's go back to our earlier example about the warning signs indicating that if you go closer to the edge of the cliff, the ground is unstable, it's gonna break away, you're gonna fall to your death. It does no good to say, well, I have a promise from God that I'm not going to fall, I have eternal life. But if you have eternal life, and the very nature of eternal life is this, that it pays attention to the warnings of God. God, through his Holy Spirit, awakens us to dangers So, in fact, those who have eternal life, they don't walk to the edge of the cliff. They heed the warning. And that's why verse 14 is, what I have said, a word of clarification. You know you're one with Christ because you hold your original confidence firm to the end. Another translation says, if we hold the confidence that we had at first— The confidence is the confidence in Christ, in His power to save, in His promises that He has made to us, and in the life He commends to us. Notice this does not say that we become perfect in our obedience. Of course not. All believers, as they become closer to Christ, also become more aware of their sins and of their regular need for repentance. The Holy Spirit also makes them aware at how quickly They're prone to an evil and unbelieving heart. I mean, the reason they give themselves to spiritual disciplines, and that includes, I mean, being part of a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, faithful church, well, it's because they know that they must pay attention to the propensity that is in their flesh to turn towards evil. Now, I've only dealt with verse 14. But as I've said, verse 15 actually belongs to verse 14. It says, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. See, that assumes that through the reading of the word, through the fellowship with faithful believers, the Holy Spirit is speaking into our hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, don't you ignore it. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't turn away from his call for you to repent. So I hope you see that the word if, in verse 14, is such an important verse. Now the third section in our passage, you know, we sum up this discussion by asking a series of three questions. Each one demands that we take time to understand the questions and the answers. So here's the first. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So what's this question asking? Well, the easy answer is that all those who left Egypt were the same group who rebelled against Moses and God excluded them from the promised land. That's the simple answer to the question. But there's a more profound reality that we need to address. That reality is that a good beginning does not ensure a good ending. Let me tell you a story of a man I once knew. I'm going to call him Jack. That's actually not his real name, but the story, that's real. Jack was a police officer, tough guy. But a guy who, when he came to a Bible study, had what appeared to be a dramatic conversion experience. And he wasn't afraid to engage others in the gospel after that. I mean, the very people that once heard him laughing at Christians now heard him telling them the gospel's true. And then came that time when he was attracted by a woman who was not his wife. A sexual relationship developed, then came a life of lies and denial made up of accusations against his wife, accusations that would justify him leaving her. I mean, one thing followed another until that day when I met with him to talk about his faith, to remind him that his life was not his own. It now belonged to the Lord. And in response, by that time, he was so involved with that other woman, he left his wife, his kids, and then he left his faith. I met him years after that, and he was so far from the man I once knew. He was now an apostate, a man who had rejected Christ and a man who had been rejected by Christ. That's the point of the first question. Did you know there are plenty of examples of people who started out in the faith and whose life is like a ship that struck a rock and it held fast until the winds and the waves utterly destroyed that ship. So now it lies at the bottom of the sea. The first question reminds us that there are a great many examples of people who started out well, but who ended in the same way as those who came out of Egypt and never saw the promised land? That's the first question. Now the second one. It's in verse 17. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Again, as with the first question, the answer, it's a relatively easy one. You could tell those with whom God was provoked. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until they died there. But again, there's something else here. It is the unyielding wrath of God against those people who spurned his promises and went their own way. See, the second question reminds us that it was much more than that these people kept on sinning for 40 years until they died. See, here's the reality. God was provoked against those who sinned. Examine the word provoked. It means to be aggravated. It's an intense annoyance. It's to feel anger because of the actions of someone. Now, notice our text says that God was provoked for 40 years. That is, the intense anger of God did not cease until each one of these people were dead. It carried on throughout their lifetime. Now, there's so much more that could be said here in the future. And when we get to Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to talk about whether it's possible to restore the apostate. You know, for some who are listening, to even raise such a question seems impossible to you. For in the minds of many, the path forward is always open to us. But listen now, since I've begun to talk about adultery, let me say something that some of you will find almost incomprehensible. If you decide to deliberately sin, and you're banking on the assumption that it's always up to you to come to your senses and repent, are you right? What if God does not give you the heart attitude of repentance? Are you banking on the assumption that God has to give you that attitude? Can you imagine, as in the case of Israel, that God was so provoked with them for 40 years, have you allowed yourself to imagine such peril to a human soul? Look, the heart that seeks repentance is the heart that's soft towards God. So for those of you who have sinned and who are in agony of soul because of it, and you're wondering right now as you're listening to me, will God ever take me back? Let me say this to you. Take heart, my friend. The very fact that you long to be reconciled to God, that's grace to you. For if God were not calling you, would you desire repentance and restoration? You would not. But can you be assured when you sin that you will always get such an opportunity? What can you learn from a people God was provoked with for 40 years? Now the third question in verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but those who were disobedient? Notice in this question the importance of obedience. Now, we're not perfectly obedient, but the person who persists in saying no to Jesus will find Jesus saying no to them. And all that leads us to the conclusion, verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now then, the last verse tells us that all disobedience, all of it flows from one source, that source, unbelief. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, we read that some believers were tortured for their faith and they refused to renounce Jesus. And then it tells us why. They believed in a better resurrection. So look at it this way. How can you be faithful to Christ even unto death? And the answer is by faith. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that you will rise together with him. Believe that the world that he has for you is the best world possible, It all depends on whether you trust him. It depends on faith. and That's true with all the commands. Learn the promises and you'll not find the commands to be wearisome. It'll all
0: be a matter of faith. Thanks, John. Let me ask you this question because I'm sure it's going through people's minds. Are you saying that praying the sinner's prayer is insufficient for our salvation? That's a very important question.
1: Ben, if we pray the sinner's prayer and we do so recognizing that we are sinners and that we renounce our sin and that we recognize that we're surrendering our lives to Christ so that he has the keys to our life, that he calls the shots and we bend the knee. If that's how we understand it and that's how we indeed believe, then we are indeed saved. But there are a lot of people who sincerely pray the sinner's prayer and they don't have these understandings or they don't have the long-term commitment and regardless of the prayer, they're lost.
0: Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Priceless Treasure of Jesus, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Companions can be defined as people who band together for a common cause. Their combined resources accomplish together what they couldn't on their own. Well, Back to the Bible Canada is committed to the clear, reliable teaching of God's Word, but we understand this great calling is not a solo effort. That's why this month, Back to the Bible Canada is introducing its new monthly partnership program called Companions for the Gospel. Companions for the Gospel consists of individuals across Canada who choose to pray and support ongoing Bible teaching in the form of a consistent monthly gift. The result, lives transformed and a deepened understanding of the truths of the Bible, truths desperate to be heard. To find out more about joining Companions of the Gospel monthly partnership, its impact, and the exclusive benefits it offers, or to offer a gift today, Just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.